Welcome to episode 86 of the Fertility Podcast. My name is Natalie Silverman, your host. And wherever you found yourself on your fertility journey and you're looking for answers, this podcast is a safe place, hopefully giving you some information that is useful. If it's your first time having a listen to the podcast, do go to thefertilitypodcast.com or iTunes, depending on where you found me, and have a listen. I've covered all sorts of different areas that hopefully will strike a chord with you and where you're at. Because the main thing to know when you found that your route to parenthood isn't straightforward is that you're not alone and also it's not your fault. Now, if you are listening to this podcast through iTunes, it would be amazing if you've got a moment to rate and review the podcast because that means that other people find it more. So hopefully I can help others on my mission to try and just raise awareness of all the different stuff we have to go through when we are dealing with infertility. Now, this episode, I have a chat with a lady called Sue Johnson who had fertility treatment two decades ago. And so she's got a really interesting take on what it was like then. Also, she has written a book with nine co-authors, people that she found support with during her journey. And I think you'll find that she's a, a real character and the book itself is doing brilliantly well. So here's Sue. So I'm going to welcome Sue Johnston, who is one of the authors of a book called Detours, Unexpected Journeys of Hope Conceived from Infertility, to talk about the book and her own fertility journey. So Sue, welcome to the podcast. Hope you're well. Thank you so much, Natalie. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're at the start of your day. I'm halfway through mine on a Monday. Now, your story, I know you and your husband struggled for almost a decade to have your child. And I know that you're you're talking from a military background. So just set me up with your journey from when you kind of realized that actually starting a family wasn't going to be as straightforward as as you'd hoped. So I am seeing infertility through the rearview mirror now, happily to say, and I married a naval officer and combining the life of a naval officer and wife who are new to uh, each, each other and having him go to sea all the time compounded our quest to have a baby. It was complicated. And I was married at 28 years old. He was a little bit older than I was. And his sea duty made me realize that I didn't want to delay pregnancy. I was very educated about wanting to become a, a mother because I was an elementary school teacher and I always devoted all of my life to children. And that one day, you know, the highlight of my life would be to be a mother myself. So when we got married, we started trying right away, but within a year, I decided it was time for us to seek infertility help through an assisted reproductive technologist, uh, reproductive endocrinologist in our neck of the woods in San Diego, California. We actually started to seek the help from our regular OBGYN. He did some preliminary tests, and we passed every test with flying colors. And after six months of trying through that method, you know, just normal methods, he said, I think that you should seek a professional reproductive endocrinologist. So within that first year, we went from a regular OBGYN to a reproductive endocrinologist because I was 28 years old. My husband's six years older than I. He was gone for like six months at a time. So that really cut into our quest for having a baby. So we were more aggressive, I think, than most 
But yeah, that, that's kind of our story. And so you ended up having IVF, did you, to have a successful pregnancy? Yes, yes, yes. We did six IVFs, as a matter of fact. We had lots and lots of eggs. We made lots and lots of embryos. And back in the day when I was going through IVF, they didn't have the ability to genetically test the embryos. So the theory back then was to put as many viable embryos as you could, like six embryos the first time I transferred, eight embryos another time I transferred, six embryos, just kind of like throwing spaghetti at a wall to see which ones would stick. And my embryos were, you know, some of them had blastocyst stage. So yeah, they were really good quality embryos, but none of them would take. The next time I tried it um, in vitro, what we did back then, we combined it with ZIFT. Zygote interfallopian transfer, or ZIFT, is where they take the egg, they harvest the egg, they put it, you know, in a petri dish with the sperm, and they create the embryo. But instead of just putting the embryos back into the uterus, put the embryos into the fallopian tubes directly. We had three embryos transferred into my navel through the laparoscopic incision, and two, you know, into my fallopian tubes, and two embryos transferred into my uterus. So I don't know if my son is an IVF baby or a ZIFT baby. Does that make sense? Kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't heard of it before, so it's kind of enlightening to me. And and you've said back in the day a couple of times, how many years ago are we talking about your treatment then? Okay, my son is 23 years old now. So this is two and a half decades ago when we were trying. So I started trying to conceive in 1986, but did not get pregnant with him in 1993. And during that time, because it's quite fascinating to understand how the technology was advancing whilst you were trying, were you feeling that it was being explained to you, the different options, that there was support there, especially when you were potentially at risk of a multiple pregnancy? And obviously we're talking because you've now been involved in this book, helping others from a support point of view. 20 odd years ago, was there much support for you and your husband? He was coming and going, you know, with his work... Who did you talk to about what was going on? Well, I joined an infertility support group. We have Resolve, which is our National Infertility Association. And I joined Resolve, and that's where I met the other nine co-authors of our book. They were my lifeline. We were lifelines for each other. When my husband was at sea, they would give me shots. They would come over during embryo transfers because we were, you know, working with frozen embryos at times. Um, You know, they were just there for me. And we always thought that we would like to write a book because each one of us has found an incredibly satisfying outcome, but it wasn't what we thought nor what we wanted at the beginning of our journey. And even though it's been two decades later, you know, some of us are still raising teens. So, you know, some of the technology has changed. The emotions have not when you have to go through what we women and men have to deal with, when your body isn't working, you can't get pregnant, it's difficult. So we wanted to write a book to provide hope and inspiration against all odds that you can find a resolution somehow, some way out there. Now, I think it's really interesting that there's quite a number of you involved in sharing your stories. And I know that you've each kind of written chapters. And I like how you titled your chapter, Never Tell a Navy Wife to Abandon Ship. Because as you say, you never you never gave up on having a baby. Explain to me some of the areas that you cover, because it's quite broad from the whole dealing with what infertility means, that overwhelm, to staying hopeful. 
Yes, exactly. We have a chapter on donor eggs. Two of us actually use donor egg. We have a chapter on multiple miscarriages. We have one on international adoption. We have a chapter on surrogacy. We have one on the male infertility, the ICSI chapter. We have one on child-free living, a woman who, after five, six years of high technology intervention, she, she decided that she was just done. So we cover the gamut. We really feel like we cover just about every outcome that is available to build your family or to find resolution, even the one that remained child-free. She delves into her career and she brings lorises and primates back to the zoo and those are her babies. So even though she has a child-free life, she still has a very enriched life. And tell me about some of the feedback that you've had. How long has the book been available? Because it's already a number one bestseller in Amazon, isn't it? Yes, it is. We're so excited. Out of 7,500 books, we are number one. It's only been out since March of uh, 2017. Wow. And I thank you, Natalie, because this is my first international podcast Woo! that I'm doing. Woohoo! Woohoo! And yeah, so I've had lots of followers all over Twitter now, as far away as India. Hopefully, our book can reach reach all kinds of people who are struggling to build their families because this is a global problem. Bigger infertility is bigger than our book. It's bigger than any one reproductive center. I want to increase awareness about that. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. And I think it's brilliant that, you know, you've still got that bond with those people that you had on, on the journey, through the journey. I'm always really interested to to get to grips with the support aspect of people's journeys because there are so many of us that still deal with this without reaching out to anybody and each time I hope that somebody on this podcast shares a story of how they reached out I hope it might inspire someone to actually you know to brave up a little bit and and tell somebody how they're feeling and what they're feeling even if it's just online because like you say there's a there's an amazing community online oh exactly and now i have been i call myself the infertility advocate i've gone to washington dc to advocate for the infertility community i have my own line of infertility support cards you know of course social media there's so much more available now but just that person to person contact is the most vital i say exactly whether it's a man or a woman listening because i always try to stress that guys who are so reluctant to talk about it need to just as much as we girls do as a matter of fact my husband um, the Navy captain writes his own chapter in chapter eight from the man's perspective of his goal of wanting to be a father, but he also to be the captain of ships too. And his push-pull battle with, um, you know, infertility in his career. So his is a really interesting perspective in the book too. So we cover it all in detours. It's a great read and it's a fast read and it's really a, filled with hope throughout the whole book. Sounds great. Well, thank you, Sue. And I'm going to put all the links to you and your social media and to how people can get the book on the show notes for this episode. And um, yeah, just keep me posted. Good luck with it. I will. Thank you so much for your time, Natalie. I so appreciate you. And you stay safe over there. We love you. And uh, we're all rooting together for you in all of England during this time. Okay? Thank you. Thank you, Sue. You take care. Bye. Bye-bye. The Fertility Podcast is supported by Ovusense.
If you're trying to monitor your cycle and finding it overwhelming, OvuSense is the only ovulation monitor on the market that is a class two medical device. It has a vaginal sensor and app and it fits like a tampon so it's really easy to use and comfortable to wear. You use it at night whilst you sleep and then in the morning you simply remove, wash it and download your data to see your cycle pattern. Now OvuSense has proven comfortable for women in over 10,000 cycles of use and can predict ovulation up to a day in advance and can confirm it with 99% accuracy. To find out more, visit OvuSense.com. The Fertility Podcast is also supported by IVF Matters, the UK's first online fertility clinic where you can order tests delivered to your door, have scans at multiple locations and speak to consultants in the comfort of your own home. It's a truly unique way to experience your fertility journey and you can find out more at ivfmatters.co.uk. I will put the details of Sue's book on the show notes, which are the fertilitypodcast.com forward slash Sue. Now, if you want to keep in touch with the Fertility Podcast, you can follow me at Fertility Poddy on Twitter and also on Instagram, which I'm finding is an amazing community. You've probably been there for a while, but it's pretty new for me. One of the discussions that I have noticed and I'm trying to find out more about is it seems lots of people, I think it's more so in the States, but I'm interested at it from a a global view, more and more people asking others to help them with unused meds for their fertility treatment obviously with the cost of infertility rising and the access to funds for it being limited for a lot of people it kind of makes sense but personally I was quite surprised that you'd be up for getting meds from someone you don't know you don't know whether they've been I don't know left near a radiator or something else that might affect how well they work and that might affect your own journey and I don't know it just didn't really sit that comfortably with me but maybe it's been a lifeline for you so I want to do an episode on sharing meds on someone helping somebody else if you've been in a situation where you've asked and somebody's helped maybe you yourself have been trying to get hold of some meds maybe you've been donating them to somebody else it'd be really cool to hear from you so just email natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com and any other feedback that you've got as always really welcome i love hearing from you if you want to leave me a message you can do a little voice message at thefertilitypodcast.com and until the next time 